Hello, everyone. Before we begin this podcast, episode five, part two on passwords, I'd just like to say thank you for everyone for being a bit patient while this delayed release happened. I got a little bit of food poisoning earlier in the week, and it kind of affected just about everything in my body. So without any further interruptions or delays, here we go. Codifier episode five, part two. Welcome to the Codifier Podcast. Codifier is a podcast about emerging trends and technologies with the aim to create bite-sized entertaining content for everyone from software developers to sales gurus to even your parents so that they can stay clued in and techno-savvy in today's ever-changing world. So the combination is one, two, three, four, five. That's the stupidest combination I ever heard in my life. That's the kind of thing an idiot would have on his luggage. Thank you, your highness. I had to do that. It's been 30 years since the movie Spaceballs was released, and even they are making fun of the password 12345, which is still in the top list of passwords, which is, which is amazing. We learn slowly, it seems. Last episode, we talked a little bit about what a good password is, what a bad password is, and did a little bit of, of investigating into different single sign-on mechanisms that are provided for us, like Facebook and Google and Twitter, and kind of went through the good, the bad, and the ugly of all of those. Now, something I didn't get into was uh, putting your password on a post-it note and sticking it on your monitor. Um, I guess there's there are pros and cons to that. And a, there was a rather famous con that I put on the Facebook page. I hope you're following us there, facebook.com slash codifier, where the Hawaiian Emergency Management Agency, um, just just after a false missile alert, probably already not a not a great place to be. I uh, got a photo taken inside, and there is a password in the photo on the monitor. The password was warning point two, capital W. Um, yeah, so how good or bad is doing that? I think for individuals like you or me, who maybe have a locked office and a bit of privacy, uh, it's maybe it's not too bad. Uh, certainly better than the password one, two, three, four, five. But for somebody working in an office for the emergency or any office where it's, yeah, I think you understand. At least put the password on the back of the post-it note, just in case photographers come by. Moving on, though, let's get into this week's episode where we're going to go through some more advanced maintenance and management of passwords. And we're going to kick off with password managers. There are many of these on the market. Splash Data, who release the top 25 passwords each year, is a great example of one. Uh, there's also Dashlane and 1Password and LastPass and many, many others. And I haven't tried them all, but I have had personal experience with a few. It's certainly Dashlane and LastPass, and they all, they're, all, they're all relatively similar from a layman perspective. My preference is for LastPass uh, for an incredibly simple reason, which I'll, I'll expand on that shortly. I'll first explain the reason for all these managers. I mean, what they do is relatively simple. They store your passwords in a vault. I'm using air quotes around the word vault. Um, that is a database essentially protected by a master password. Now, at the outset, this sounds a bit dangerous almost like a single point of failure, but actually it's pretty handy. 
My master password for LastPass is, of course, 12345. I am kidding, of course. It's one that's quite complex and clever, like what we discussed in the last episode. It's a series of easy-to-remember words that really make no sense, so much so that I almost find it easy to remember because of their obscurity. Now, the reason I chose LastPass over Dashlane to reveal is because at the time I installed them both, Dashlane insisted on that old password system with the symbols and the capitals and the asterisks and special characters. And those restrictions for a master password prevented me from creating what I thought was a properly secure password, which I kind of thought was a bit backward for a company whose specialization is cutting edge when it comes to passwords. However, it may not be the same today. I, I have to take a look at that. When I looked at Dashlane, it was last summer, probably around June. Now, getting back to the master password, after you've established that, the service can provide you sometimes with a desktop application or a browser extension. And then going forward, when you create a new account or you change the password on an existing account, it picks that up and allows you to auto-generate a really complex password that then gets stored in your vault for the next time you log in. Now, the advantage of that is you retain control over your data and your login. You can access the vault whenever you need using the master password, and you can grab any password that you might need should for some reason you need to log in using your mobile or some other mechanism. And you can do that without ever displaying them on the screen, which is great should you be in a public place and allows you to maintain a level of intentional ignorance about your passwords. And of course, that can be handy if you're a super spy who's tied up and they're trying to get the password out of you. You don't know it. Hey, what a big plus. Two big questions came to mind when I first started exploring, exploring commercial password managers. And the first was, when I log into something, my browser asks if it should save the password for me. Now the second, what if LastPass or my password manager gets hacked? Does somebody then get all my passwords? So let's, let's tackle those two big questions. The first, browser-based password managers. Letting a browser store your passwords is a bad idea. I now realize I've got right to the point right away. Browsers have been notoriously bad at storing passwords safely through the history of browsers storing anything. Additionally, if you happen to be hit with some form of malware, they have a tendency to go straight for the browser passwords and send those off to any malicious actors. Uh, malware can arrive in the form of a browser extension itself. And yes, there are a lot of, unfortunately, malicious malware uh, browser extensions out there that are designed to look like things that would be legitimate. And what they'll do is they will scrape your logins to try and find information about you. Uh, so it's worth being careful there. And I think I'm going to do another podcast in the future just concentrating solely on the power that your browser actually has. Now, additionally, there are other ways that people can get names and passwords from you. And there are already malicious adware scripts, you know, those little ads that appear in the sidebars of current websites that employ the crafty tactic of scraping your email address from login forms and sending them off to marketing lists. It's already been proven that the same thing can be done for passwords, and they can do this by embedding an invisible hidden login into a normal page. 
the browser-based password managers will just autofill in that form as if it's it's fine. It's a normal form. They don't quite process that it's not visible and that it might be malicious. And presto, a script is sending your name and your password away. Proper password managers are smart enough to see that this is invisible and they don't just fill it in. I guess the overall gist of this, though, is that it's a bit too easy to trick your browser into giving up the information, whereas the commercial password managers are much better at it, at, at keeping your information safe. Now, on that theme, let's address the second question. And what if LastPass or Dashlane gets hacked? The reality is that it's happened. If you're a high-value target, it's very likely that you're going to get hacked. Now, it's how you prepare for such an attack which decides whether the attackers can do anything with the results. Now, while LastPass, when they were hacked, did prompt users to change their master passwords, it was also largely considered that the data was very securely hashed, nothing could be used against us, no master passwords were leaked. And that's actually why I felt more confident in LastPass as a password manager, not less. Now, getting back to the real purpose of password managers, the goal of managing the ever-increasing pile of passwords that we were asked to remember, password managers are way better than your average human of taking care of that business. Okay, thanks for listening to Codifier Episode 5, Part 2, Passwords. It's getting complicated, isn't it? We're going to get into password managers and even some hardware device two-factor authentication shortly. But before then, just like to say a thanks to everyone who's been sharing the shows on LinkedIn and on Facebook because we're getting a lot more listeners and that's really cool. What would be even more, more better? I was just about to say that. Even better is that if you can go to iTunes or your favorite podcast source and leave a review for us. Five stars would be great. 4.9 is fine. But you know what we're like. We're trying to get new listeners. And if you recommend things to your friends and, and they go to iTunes and take a look and they see that there's a good review, they're likely to sign up too. That's how we are. So if you can help us out and you're enjoying the shows, that would be amazing. Thanks very much. Also, as usual, do follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Codifier. Twitter handle, Codifier. Thanks. Now back to the show. So let's say you've taken all this advice. You've got a great password manager for most situations. You're using a modern, sexy password that easy for humans to remember, but difficult for machines to guess. And you don't let your browser remember anything for you. You've done it. But how can you be better? Let's talk about authentication on the whole. Okay, most mobiles use fingerprint recognition technology as well as facial recognition. Now, some workplaces give you a little device that sometimes, uh, or maybe a special application on your mobile, which can produce a little code, and you use that as part of the login process. Some systems send you a text message. Now, each of these authentication mechanisms, they come down to one of three characteristics. Something you know, 
that's a password, for example. Something you have, and that can be one of these gadgets or perhaps just your phone. Or something you are, and that is your fingerprint or your face. So for mission critical login situations, and some would argue that's all situations, you should have enabled something called 2FA, or sometimes it gets written as MFA, uh, but that generally stands for two-factor or multi-factor authentication, respectively. And that means there's a combination of those elements and implies that a password alone isn't enough. Now, Google will often implement 2FA using a text message, uh, and that's something that a lot of people I've seen have set up. So if you log in from an unfamiliar system, it will text you a five or six digit code and type that in. You get it on your screen and your mobile and you're, you get access again. It's a smart setup because Google, like Facebook, it can be a little too flexible, allowing you to log in just by remembering you. So if it sees a browser or an IP it doesn't recognize, it'll send you a code just to make sure that's still you. It's pretty smart. Or is it? I mean, there is a critical flaw to the text message or any two-factor authentication that uses your mobile phone. I mean, while it does work if you're accessing that service via a laptop, but if you're accessing the service via your phone, uh, well, it's sending the message to the same phone. So it's not really two-factor because the something you have is already the thing you're using to accessing the service you want. So it's just a different version of the same thing. But it, it, it is better than nothing. I mentioned also that sometimes you can get a special application for your mobile, which produces a unique code. And examples of that would be something called Google Authenticator. Uh, I think if you go into the um, Apple Store or, or Google Play, you'll see it. LastPass also has an equivalent application called Authenticator. Um, and also there are, are major security companies like Okta have the same kind of thing. Now, while these are convenient, Again, there's a bit of a flaw in that if the service you're being accessed is via the mobile phone, kind of seems redundant for that code to be generated by the same mobile phone. Because if, if I've stolen your mobile phone, hypothetically, um, and I've already gotten through the, the, the pin code or something, which, and I can get to an application, I have to log into your, your email, well, there's no two-factor authentication. I mean, it is good that provided you've got a PIN number or, or fingerprint or facial recognition on your phone, you already, in a way, have two-factor authentication because I needed something to get into the phone in the first place. So that's good, and perhaps that's the, that's, that's the mechanism that we're relying upon. So it's probably worth mentioning that I'm assuming everybody has a PIN number or a mobile activated on your phone, and if you don't, you probably should because... Yeah, I, I've, I guess I've, you, you got it by now. I pointed out the fact that if you're going to use your phone for two-factor authentication, then yeah, you really need to make sure you've, you've got those sorts of basic things enabled. So another major flaw in the text message 2FA method, and this is a bit potentially more convoluted, is that there is a real lack of security uh, that mobile phone companies employ with regards to you making changes. So if I phone up a major mobile contract provider and I want it to pretend to be you, I can often play dumb enough to get past the secret questions or I can just get the answers to your secret questions from your social media because if you, if you, if you look at our data breach episode, you can probably see you've probably given all that information away already. 
there is a way for me to change your contract without you knowing. I mean, there's a documented two-factor authentication attack where the attacker calls up a contract provider. Let's say, you know, your examples are Verizon or O2 and says they have a new phone, new SIM, and they'd like to migrate their number over to the new SIM. This will then reroute the two-factor authentication text message to their phone. Now, you're probably thinking you're still safe because, well, they don't have the password, so how will they ever get the two-factor authentication number? Well, uh, what if they use the lost or forgotten password route, uh, which is often neglected when it comes to people thinking about security? This, surfer, this service often uses the same two-factor authentication text message mechanism to allow them to reset the password. So if that's the case, you're kind of stuffed. I realize that's a pretty far-fetched example, but it is possible, and, and you probably have to be a pretty high-profile candidate for someone to try that on you. But nevertheless, that is, that is a possible method of attack. Now, I also realize that uh, not everyone uses the text message two-factor authentication. Google makes us provide a backup email address for Gmail accounts. And to an extent, that can be a bit ridiculous because it creates this Russian doll effect where you have a backup email address and what if they send that recovery information to a backup email address that we haven't used in a while and we don't have that password anymore either? I mean, it's fine because maybe that account will have a backup email address. I mean, if you're really lucky, those two email accounts don't point back at each other and you're, you're stuffed. So you're also lucky if that recovery email address isn't a Yahoo email account that got hacked back in 2013. The problem with a recovery email address is that it's often unused and neglected, and it may have no two-factor authentication. It could be the weakest link in your authentication chain. It could have been already automatically disabled or hacked because it's from the era of Stone Age internet security. And by the way, the Stone Ages were uh, only about five years ago. So what do we do? Hardware. That's the answer. There are modern tools that can represent the something you own category rather well that aren't your phone. A recent device, which I like, bit of a fan, is called the YubiKey. It's this really tiny USB fobby thing, looks a bit like a USB storage drive, which acts as your two-factor authentication device. In fact, it's something I use as two-factor authentication on my password manager uh, so that I don't use my phone. It keeps my vault independent from my mobile phone. Uh, this can also be used for Google and Facebook and is just generally better than the text message method. It did cost me money though. So, I mean, if you're gonna go YubiKey or hardware, you have to buy it for the most part. I think the YubiKey was about $50 relatively cheap if you consider the damage and hassle that can be done by somebody getting access to something like your email. Now, the only really flaw with some of these hardware solutions is that they're really tiny and you can lose them and you can vacuum them up and you can smash them into little pieces. So there's no perfect solution. Now, finally, moving into the something you are in a bit more detail, the iPhone relies heavily on their fingerprint scanner, and more recently, their facial recognition software. 
the LastPass mobile application uses the fingerprint to access the vault, even if you are already logged into the phone using the fingerprint scanner, which I think is really good because it means that you can loan your, your phone to somebody that is logged in to make a call and they still cannot use the app without, without effectively cutting your thumb off, in which case you've got, you've got bigger problems, like you know your, your tennis game is going into the toilet. The Something You Are category is one that is often grossly misrepresented in films as, as well, with any manner of hand, face, retinal, scan, often preventing entry into impressive sexy vaults and brilliant white spacious laboratories, often containing a plinth carrying a super special laser chemical poison megabomb. The reality of these technologies, of course, is that your iPhone is pretty much about as high-tech as we're going at the moment. Facial recognition is only just good enough to be commercially offered, and to be fair, I'm, I'm holding back on it until I feel it's a little bit more mature. I, I've already heard stories of children opening up Dad's mobile phone because that family resemblance was a little too accurate. So I'm going to wrap this up with giving you a quick recap of how I handle my own password hell as kind of a, an example of a real-world person. Um, I, I'll start with saying I use a password manager. I, I've heard pros and cons to password managers in the security industry. There are actually people who aren't fans of password managers, but I think they seem to be in the minority. I use LastPass, although, frankly, it's difficult to choose a bad password manager. I do pay for LastPass, but the free version is great. So if you're just looking for something to be better than nothing, totally recommend any of the free versions out there. They, they do provide just about everything you would need. I do have two-factor authentication turned on for everything I can uh, when I can figure it out. And I really wish that almost every system with a login would insist that you turn it on and make it very clear how to make that happen. But unfortunately, we're not quite there yet. If you can dig in and, and do that for your key accounts, I highly recommend it. For my password manager itself, I use a, that YubiKey I just mentioned as my two-factor two factor authentication is hard to say when you've said it like 14 times already. You're probably getting tired of hearing it. For accounts that I use through a web browser uh, only, I do use my mobile as my two-factor authentication. I, I have the application. I use the LastPass Authenticator. Uh, Google Authenticator is just as good. It's pretty much exactly the same. The same, the point is, you should try and figure out how to do that two-factor authentication. I recommend either of those, those two apps. Finally, I did a review of my recovery email addresses. And when I did that, it was embarrassing. I wanted to make sure my recovery mechanism wasn't going in circles and wasn't connected to any accounts that were, let's say, to be complimentary legacy or maybe non-existent. Apparently, I used to have an email account with a company called Briefcase. I think that was the 90s. So yeah, anyway, some corrections needed to be made when I did that little audit. And let me say right now, uh, let me just give you an idea of what you think an important account is. Because not only is your vault to your master password an important account, but I think it's good to, what I think is stating the obvious, but I said it the other day to somebody and it was kind of a eureka moment. Your email is probably one of the most important accounts you have, and it tends to be the thing because you access it the most 
it tends to be one of your easiest passwords. People sometimes don't realize that their email account, their main email account, is almost like a, a digital keychain. Uh, if I wanted to find out every single service or to an extent other account that is using your email or that you logged in with that email to, to get access to, I can do that. So if I get access to bobsmith at gmail.com, I can then search through your email and I can say, okay, well, I can see that Bob uses this, 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 and all these different services. And I know that you use that email to log in. And it's probably a way for very simpler services to do your password reset. And so just getting access to your email can enable access to almost a good portion of your whole life. So that, that password to your email I think you're going to want to beef that one up at the very least if you're not going to go down the password manager route. So I just thought I'd throw that little scary final story in before we wrap things up. So for those who think all of this password stuff sounds like a lot of work, it kind of is in the short term. I, I love the password manager system, and I actually found that although there was a bit of auditing or accounting on my passwords I needed to do, in the beginning, when I got it installed, I found it was a huge relief once once it was all set up because it actually revealed how many accounts I had that I wasn't really keeping track of. And I also loved that feeling of not constantly having to remember passwords while simultaneously knowing that what I'm doing with my passwords is bad. I know this. I only have three and I use them everywhere. You, that, that stress is gone. And after you've done that little online life assessment, it feels great. So, thanks for listening. This has been Codifier Episode 5, Part 2, capping off our discussion of passwords, the good, the bad, the ugly. Thank you for listening. You can follow Codifier on iTunes, on Stitcher, and all good podcast sources, but I'm sure you already know that. Please tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Facebook at codifier.com. And as well on Twitter, the handle is Codifier. We'll see you in a few weeks where we're going to talk a little bit about cryptocurrency, blockchain, and security. Cool.